All right, let's um, open in a word of prayer, and uh, we'll go ahead and get uh, get started here. Uh, Father, we thank you for another day to serve you, uh, Lord, this week after Easter, that you've been resurrected for uh, just about a week now, and um, you know, things are starting to move, uh, and uh, disciples' faiths are beginning to solidify, and, and Lord, it was an exciting time, and I pray, Lord, that, that, that we can... Uh, Tap into some of that excitement, Lord, remembering that, that, that you're still alive and, uh, and we serve you a risen Savior. So we pray this morning that you'd open our hearts to your word and teach us uh, how to live for you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to uh, move into a section uh, looking at God the Father. <clears throat> uh, we're not going to deal so much with the fatherhood of God, but more of what uh, God as our Heavenly Father expects of us. Uh, now, you've heard expressions uh, that, you know, boy, you look like your mom, you know, which uh, might be a compliment or it might not, you know, <laughs> it depends. Or, or you remind me of your father. Or you remind me of your father. You know, it kind of depends on the tone of voice that it's set in, you know, as, as to whether that's a good thing or not. Uh, you know, we, we kind of get our, uh, our identities from our parents, of course. Uh, a lot of it depends on you know what you know of your parents, how you how you feel about your parents. You know, I'm starting to see my dad in the mirror more and more, which is disturbing on so many levels. Um, when uh, our kids were about junior high and high school, I started hearing my father come out of my mouth. And that, that bugged me more than seeing my dad in the mirror. Uh, it, it's just, ugh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm starting to, I, I, I say things like he does in the same tone of voice as he does. And, and, and now when I'm you know, dealing with the grandkids that are misbehaving, I hear it even more. And it's, I, it's like, I'm not sure I want that. <laughs> but, you know, we are who we are by, by some aspects, by design. Uh, you get your idea of of God the Father, usually from your earthly father. That can, again, be good or bad. Uh, sometimes what you get is um, a good example of a bad example. You know, uh, sometimes that's what the Lord, Lord gives us with our, with our fathers. Um, we learn what, uh, what not to do in some, in some cases. Well, Scripture portrays God as, as Father, as, as the perfect Father, the one that always does everything right, never gets anything wrong, which isn't like our earthly fathers. And really, oh, you stop that. It keeps wanting to restart, and I don't like it, and I don't know how to change it, so I'm afraid it's going to restart at the most inopportune time. Um, we have to remember that our dads are not God. That they are bound by the same sin nature that we are. Uh, so sometimes you've got to cut them some slack. You have to forgive them for not being perfect. Forgive them for not living up to your expectations. But scripture does portray God as our father. Uh, we're created in his image. 
uh, Jesus directs us to be like the Father. Uh, some people think of God as their earthly father, or some people think of God as the ideal father. They may uh, view God through the lens of their earthly father, uh, which will corrupt the image of God to them. Um, they may uh, have a realistic view of God from Scripture and realize that, that our earthly dads, you know, they may have done the best they could do, but they blew it sometimes, and that's what dads do. Uh, but God isn't like that. Um, what we're going to try to look at here is, is how Scripture describes God as our Father and, and what that means then to us, how we ought to respond to it. Um, now, again, it can be good or bad that we get our idea of God from our, heaven, from, from our earthly Father. Um, you know, we, if, if they were overbearing, if they were rigid, um, that's going to distort uh, our view of God. But we need to make sure that when we get this idea of who God is, that, that it runs through the filter of Scripture, not through the filter of our experience. So what I want you to look at uh, first is Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to spend some time verses 43 to 48, which is uh, just the last part of the chapter. Matthew chapter 5, <coughs> excuse me, excuse me, 43 to 48. And verse 43 says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, uh, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and, and, and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, uh, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. All right. Uh, now these verses are part of uh, you know, the great Sermon on the Mount um, here in, in beginning back in Matthew. Uh, it's, it's um, I mean, tr try to get this picture that, that, that there's thousands of, of these first century Hebrews uh, they're, they're you know, taking a break from their job and their responsibilities. They're following Jesus or listening to him teach. They, they leave the city. They head to a nearby hillside in order to, to, to listen to him. So they, they've kind of stopped their lives. Their lives they put on hold so they can go out so they could hear him. And, and, and he spoke to them in ways that nobody else had before. Uh, he had something new. There was, there was an authority to what he said. It's different than what they had heard before. Um, it, 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 it says in verse 43, uh, ye have heard that it hath been said, which means that, that they have heard what, what the present teachers have been saying for years. Uh, you've, you've heard your teachers say this. Uh, now he, he is summarizing these uh, statements in, 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 in 38 to 42. 
uh, he and 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 introduced then what what would follow. Uh, he's been telling them something that's kind of radical to them. It is, uh, it, is, it, is, it is difficult to them. I mean, the Jewish people, remember, had been conquered by the Roman Empire. They were, they were occupied by Rome at this point. And for nearly 100 years, they'd been occupied and controlled by the Romans. And they hated the Romans. And the Romans, well, they hated just about everybody. Um, I mean, imagine how you would feel if another country invaded us and, and, and change their laws to favor its people, uh, you know, and, and, you know, kept most of them in poverty, uh, the, the Native Americans know exactly what, that, what that's like, right? Yeah, it, it's, 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 it's what has happened to them. It's the same thing that happened to the Hebrew people, all right? And, and, and yet these, the, these Romans are walking around like they own the place. Because essentially, as far as they're concerned, they do. And most Jewish people hated the Romans. Um, but they were powerless to do anything about it. Um, many were looking for, uh, for a champion, a political savior uh, that would rally the people, that would drive Rome out. <coughs> um, some listened to Jesus because they thought he was the one to do this. Judas did that. Judas joined up with Jesus because Judas thought he was the one. He was the political Messiah, the political Savior. He was going to be the one that would rout Rome, send them packing back to what is now Italy, and then they would free the Hebrew nation. And when Judas realized that that wasn't going to happen, that's when Judas began to turn. Uh, they were wanting, essentially, a political savior, not a spiritual one. Well, according to the law, um, a Roman soldier could order a Jewish person to carry his gear for a mile. If they were marching down the road, um, and uh, you know, it, it, it was, if you look up, look up in verse 41, whosoever shall uh, compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain or two. So you're, you know, tooling down from Jerusalem to Bethlehem and, and, and Roman soldier cut up to you and says, hey, carry my stuff. You, you had to do it. So you'd have to shoulder his pack and, and he could only make you go a mile. Jesus says, if somebody does that, some Roman soldier does that to you, go two miles. Right? Now, remember, the Jews hated the Romans. I mean, why in the world? Would they be nice to them? Why in the world would they do anything extra for them? Well, Jesus said not just to obey, but to go above and beyond whatever was required. And, and that was new teaching. That would have sounded counterintuitive. Right? To, to be that nice, to be that kind to your enemy. Now, it's one thing to be nice to your friend. I'm not sure I'd carry a backpack an extra mile for a friend of mine, let alone an enemy, right? I mean, that, that's kind of our thinking. Jesus says, no, if, if one of those Romans that you can't stand, that you hate, that has invaded your country, compels you, makes you carry his gear for a mile, you, you volunteer to take it another mile. That's where that phrase, go the extra mile, comes from. 
is carrying it an extra, it's going a little further. He told them not to fight back in the physical sense. That's the whole, you know, turn the other cheek. Uh, and that would sound wrong. Not to fight back, it's, it, it doesn't sound right. <clears throat> but look back in verse 43. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. That's what was presently being taught at that time. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I mean, he, he reported that you know, somebody was teaching this, and it was accepted teaching. Uh, so not to hate your enemy again, was, was this, this, this counterintuitive, it was backward sounding. Uh, now, you know, maybe now Jesus would, would, would tell them you know, how to fight back. Um, and he did tell them how to fight back, but it wasn't, it wasn't what they were expecting to hear. Remember that, that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. And the way God says do things is, is very often 180 degrees off of what the world says the way things should be done. Look at verse 44. It says, but I say unto you. So, okay, verse 43, you've heard it said, love your neighbors, hate your enemies. But, okay, now something different here. I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. <clears throat> There's not a lot of hate going on at the second half of that verse, right? Jesus changed everything. <clears throat> Jesus is changing their entire relationship with the very Romans that had invaded them and taken them over and were oppressing them. Uh, everything changed with this statement. I mean, it wasn't enough just to put up with your enemies. You know, you can put up with quite a bit and not technically have to show any love, right? You can, you can tolerate a lot without actually having to love in the process. This is, this is different. Um, Jesus said to love them, which means that they have to show, th they have to do something with these people now. They, they have to interact with them in a different way, on, on a different level. He says love them and pray for them. Now, Jesus said, really, to do the same thing for your enemies that you have been doing for your friends. And now it's easy to love your friends. It's easy to pray for your friends. It's easy to, to, to be nice to people you like. Anybody can do that. It says even the publicans do that. And those were really low-life kind of sinners um, you know, they, uh, even, even lost people know how to be nice to people they like. This is something new. Jesus used the same words for love that is often used to refer to God's love. It's the agape. It's the self-sacrificing love. Uh, the love that has the interest of the other person uh, instead of their own. And, and, and he's saying you love your enemies as God loves your enemies. Now that, that raises the stakes. 
that um, that changes the game. You know, we we know God loves our enemies, and and we're often just fine just to let God love them as long as we don't have to. Jesus is saying that God loves them, and He wants us to love them the way He does. You love your enemies as God loves them, and and and, and yeah, this this was something new for them. Uh, this was hard for them to hear, because the Roman soldiers, remember, would would have killed people they knew, would would have oppressed them or their families. Uh, they were they were taken advantage of, of of the children of Israel, the nation of Israel. <coughs> um, you know they. They were an occupying military force. Having to love somebody that comes into your home and takes horrible advantage of you, that is, that takes the power of God to do. The Romans have come in and and they've raped, pillaged, and plundered the nation of Israel. And now Jesus says, I want you to love these people. Yeah, this this is this is new. That's why we have up in verse forty-three. You've heard it said, right? Yeah, it, you've been taught for years. It's okay to hate the Romans. It's they're they're bad people. It's okay to hate them. And now Jesus says, but let me tell you what the real story is, and that is you ought to love them. Now the Bible. Now, there's, there's, there's four Greek words for love. Only three of them show up in Scripture. Um, there, there's agape, there's uh, eros, and there's phileo, and there's sturgeon, uh, which is so rare, I don't even re- remember the definition. But you know, the agape love is, is the self-sacrificing love. Eros is, is just a physical passion. Phileo is, is um, brotherly love. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, that, that's where it, it got its name. Uh, so the Holy Spirit could have chosen you know, three or four other words to use here in telling us to love our enemies, but he chose the one that we must depend on God the most in order to show. Um, we, we need to know that it's uh, very different uh, this, this sacrificial love is very different than the way most people understand love. Um, it's, it's, it's not, uh, it is impossible, I think, without the power of the Spirit of God working in you to show this kind of love, this level of love to somebody that you can't stand. Um, it, is, it is radically different. Um, I mean, the Gospel of John and First John, uh, you know, give us good ideas of this godly love and what it looks like in practice. Uh, here Jesus is telling them, yeah, I know you hate these people and you may have legitimate reasons for hating these people, but I want you to love them. I want you to do things that demonstrate my love for them. I want to love them through you, is what he says. So really, loving our enemies is God's way of him showing his love to them through us. 
Again, it's easy to love somebody you like. It is not easy to love somebody you don't. But that's, that's the new message from the Father. And, and, and you look, um, let's see, in verse 47. Uh, if you salute your brethren, okay, the public and so. Uh, verse 48, be therefore perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now that perfect means means complete, not without error. Of course, God is without error, but uh, it, it means complete. We're not complete. We're not whole. We, we lack integrity if we do not love our enemies. See, integrity means to, to you know, not have any fracture. You know, a, 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 a plane will fly, and, and, but when the wings lose integrity, they break, and then the plane stops flying. Uh, a boat will float as long as the hull maintains integrity. And if something happens to the hull, it, it, it no longer has integrity. The water comes in, the boat sinks. Uh, we are not... Uh, we are not complete. We do not have integrity in our character unless we are loving the way God says love. And we have to show this love to people we don't want to. <laughs> but well, it, it gets real tricky with um, 2 Corinthians 6. Come out, I think it's 6. Come out, be separate, touching out the unclean thing. Don't be unequally yoked. So with enemies and people that you don't like, people that uh, are reprobate uh, or you know whatever, talk a certain way, act a certain way, treat people a certain way. You, I mean, me personally, I just want to avoid them. And so, you know, you get nope, nope. You got to get right in there with them and love them. You know, get your hands dirty and it's like, come out and be separate, touch not the unclean thing. You know, I, I don't want to be around people that I don't. So I mean, you know, that's why we're here today. We're around people that share common. Right, uh, you yeah. know, common theme, which is the resurrection of Christ. So it it makes it very difficult um, when people you don't like try to <coughs> get to you, and you're trying to get away. You know, it's really bizarre. I mean, it's not bizarre. It's just a, a conundrum. It it is a somewhat of a balancing act, but we can love them without being like them. We can, we can love them without being unduly influenced by them. If, if that were not possible, then, then this commandment to love would then also lead us into sin. Now, we know God doesn't do that. So there has to be a way then where we can be doctrinally and practically separate from them in the way we live and yet engage them in a level that is scriptural love for them. You ever hear like, you know, this is not our type of language, but you know, some people are just bad energy, you know, and uh, it just brings you down just to, you know, be there, you know, yeah. and uh, you say, hey man, I love you the Lord, here's a Bible track, you just run, you know, I mean, I'm just trying to be funny, but I, it, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's just, it's just tough because you'd rather go like, especially when you witness to people, like if someone, um, is negative or whatever, and I'm in an airport, you know, I never have to see him again. But if it's in a small town, you know, bumping into him all the time, and, uh, <clears throat> or you're playing ball against him, or, you know, whatever, and it's like, it, it, it wears you down. Yeah, you it's, it's, it's easy to hand a track and go. It's much harder to, 
to hand a tract to your next door neighbor who is going to see you every time one of you leave the house, you know, and, and they're going to hear, you know, we, we live in the zero lot line, so our, our walls are joined, you know, and, and sometimes we can hear what's going on over there, and we're always wondering if our TV's too loud, you know, and, and, and you know, that, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, we're, we're trying to get them, um, Cassie and Ray are, are their names, trying to get them, you know, we invited them for Sunday morning, they didn't come, we're still inviting them. Uh, we're kind of stuck with them. So yeah, it, it, there's a little more at stake when you see the lost people all the time as opposed to being able to hand the track and walk away. Uh, the command is different, uh, but the application, the expression of the command becomes different. Uh, because even, even if they do exude a negative influence, um, we've, we've got the Spirit of God. We've got the Word of God to counter that negative influence on us. And, and the, yeah, the first knee-jerk reaction is, is to get as far away as possible. Um, but then we can't love them. We, we can't spend the time with them necessary to explain who Jesus is, why they need him. You know, um, we... You know, Jesus was a friend to sinners, but, and, and correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, I, I don't remember a case where because of that anybody accused Jesus of sinning. Did he say so? Did they? Did he hang out with my version of tax Okay, all right, yeah. Um, so, so, so they did, but who, who was it that accused him of that? The Pharisees, the self-righteous, uh, those those that were yeah you're right I didn't think of that, um, the ones whose 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 who's righteousness was all on the outside. Um, see, Jesus had a lot of patience with a lot of people. He had no patience at all for self-righteous people. Um, he he went after the Pharisees. I mean, he he gave them some of the most scathing, sarcastic insults that, that, that you could hear any time. I mean, he called them whitewashed graves. I mean, he called them snakes and the Pharisees. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, it's worse than the worst of your mama jokes. Um, I mean, he was brutal to the self-righteous. So if the self-righteous are the ones accusing him of sinning, um, and apparently he was doing something right. Right? I mean, again, I haven't thought this all the way through, particularly, so um, call me on it if I'm wrong. But um, Again, another balancing act. Jesus is a friend of sinners. The New Testament says, if you're not one of his, you're his enemy. You know, I mean, it's, you know, in other words, if you're not saved, until the day you get saved, you are God's enemy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you're at enmity with him. I mean, that's the total, you know, but yet Jesus, what a friend. Yeah. Was it, yeah. We sing that, Jesus, what a friend of sinners. Of sinners yeah. Um, and uh, so you go, okay, he's a friend of sinners, but they're, they're his, but he's their enemy and they're his enemy at the same time. You know, yeah. it's like, well, that's like free will and predestination. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's Calvinism. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. It's it's the Trinity. It's three and one. It's, yeah, it is, you know, it is something that if 
if Scripture does not sort out for us, there's no way we're going to sort it out on our own. Right? Judy, do you have a... Willing, willing POWs, yeah. They're yeah. spiritual POWs, and the only way they're going to be saved is if they hear the gospel. Right. So with being, you know, turning the other cheek and walking that extra mile, we also are called to contend for the truth and not just hide and carry the, you know, the 30, 50 pounds, whatever it is, uh, for that mile or two miles, but we have to tell them because faith comes by hearing the word of God, and unless we speak God's word, they're not going to hear. So we're called. I mean, when Jesus called the Pharisees a whitewashed sepulcher, you know, they didn't. They weren't supposed to be touching the unclean, and a whitewashed sepulcher may look beautiful on the outside, but inside it's full of dead men's bones. Yeah, they were, they were whitewashed so people could tell where they were, right? so they could avoid them. So, so <laughs> Jesus calling the Pharisees, you know, said, oh, you're not supposed to touch the unclean thing. He's basically saying, you are the unclean thing. You, know, you're, you're the, you are the very thing you're to be avoiding. And, um, you think of, of, of the... Uh, um, of the Good Samaritan, um, and and the lesson there was was all right. Who who is my neighbor? Who am I responsible for? And it's essentially anybody that God lays in your path. But then we're told in the Great Commission to to go and to preach the gospel to every creature. So we are to look for people. Um, so, so there there is a a passive side, but there's also a very active side. That, that we not only, you know, if God lays somebody in my path, I am obviously to witness to them, share Christ with them, preach to them, love them, but then I am to go actively look for people to preach to, to love, to share Christ with, to try to get saved. Um, so it, the ones that God lays in our path become very obvious, uh, but we're still to go out and to actively pursue those who are God's enemies so that they have the opportunity then to become God's friends. Um, right? Um, yes, ma'am.
Yeah. We are abiding in, in, in Christ. And, the, I mean, the, the metaphor is perfect, like branch in the vine, you know, like, like the twig in the tree. Um, you know, we just do what twigs do, you know, and, and we, we are abiding in Christ. We are in Christ. We will do what naturally comes from being in Christ, and that is, is Christ being lived out to the people around us. Um, so there'll be obedience, and there'll be love for the lost, and there'll be the preaching of the gospel. Um, there'll be a life of holiness. Uh, there'll be, you know, the, if I can say aggressive in the right context, there'll be the aggressive sharing of Christ and, and the passive living of Christ uh, together um, so, so that what we say actually has some substance to it. Um, what, <coughs> excuse me, what they were hearing, uh, you know, we've, we've heard it for, you know, most of our church life, you know, love our enemies, pray for those that use you, you know, love those that hate you. Um, they had never heard that before. Right? This was completely new to them. We've, you know, kind of accepted it. You know, okay, I know I don't really enjoy it all the time, but I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what the expectations are. Yeah. I'm just wondering, um, Jesus took great exception to what the Pharisees believed. How were they introduced to that? <coughs> How did they become a Pharisee? I might have to get back with you on that. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Pharisees, um, if we can say that their, their intention was good, um, they, were, they were more than just, you know, we, we look at, um, at, at legalistic people today and, and we want to call them Pharisees. They were Pharisees. They were Pharisees. Um, but there was more to it than that, though. They... Uh, they they did their best to live the law. They were trying to obey God. They 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 wanted to obey God. They um, they actually created more laws than what God created. Um, they called it putting a fence around the Torah, um, where that okay if you know this is what God says and we really want to make sure we obey it. So so let let's create some more laws so that we, um, you know, are really sure that we don't disobey what God says. So, so, so God would, would, would have a fence here, and over the fence is disobedience. Well, the Pharisees would put several other fences uh, as, as protection. So, so you can't, you know, you can't cross this first fence. There's no way you're going to cross that one, you know. So their intention was initially good, but cause of the sin nature being what it is it, it was corrupted and and then it became more of an outward display and again it's not every single pharisee um there there's some some good evidence that 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 nicodemus um john john chapter three was was the foremost prominent pharisaical teacher of the day at that time that that he was revered and honored uh, for for his teaching, you know they weren't all like this, um, but a lot of them were. Yeah, and and in his mind he had until Jesus showed him that he really hadn't. 
Yeah. Well, there's something intrinsically empty with religion, and you know, it's almost like OCD. You know, uh, the people that try so hard to be religious, they add to the religion because it never fills, it never fulfills, and until regeneration comes. And that's why a lot of mainline churches today, uh, and we don't like to talk about their names and stuff, but they, they just don't understand that that relationship that comes through regeneration or having the resurrection life of Christ placed in you through faith not only reconciles you back to God, but it, it fills what's, what you're longing for. And so you find that people that get religious either give it up altogether, you know, eventually, or they get saved, but um, or they just keep adding to it and, and to the point where like I remember talking to some of the LDS guys you know and, and they have a little quip they use and they said you know we say by grace through faith and you know um, that you're saved by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone and you know uh, grace is what we need in order to get there they say um, we're saved by grace after all that we can do Yeah. so we, we do everything we can and whatever's missing out on God gives us that little you know yeah. and it's like that's like this. It's like they're thinking that we're going to do everything we can, and if there's something missing, God might pick up the, the loose, you know, the yeah, type might of might pick up the slack for yeah, us. Yeah, but I mean that's a, that's not trusting in <clears> him <throat> at all. No, they they ended up trying to obtain righteousness by what they did, mm -hmm. um, which I again, you've done enough. yeah, you can never know. Oh, man, yeah, you can never torment. know. Yeah, um, generally the. Uh, the cliche is that religion is man's attempt to get to God. Right. Christianity is God's reaching down to man. Um, religion is empty. Of course, Christianity is full. That's kind of... We'll have to leave you with that. Um, I'll see what I can find out about how the Pharisees started. And uh, yeah, we'll pick it up then next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this time into your word. And uh, I pray, Father, that you would help us um, as, as we look at this. Um, sounds so counterintuitive. Um, but thank you for the power, the ability, and even the desire uh, to love those who do not love us. And I pray, Lord, you make us, uh, as it says earlier in the chapter, that you'll help us to be bright lights and uh, savory salt for you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.